socks. You trust them with your toes. When you get out of bed in the morning, they keep the dust and the cold off of your feet. You love the look of your hard wood, but boy, does it get dusty and cold. You trust those hardwood steps to carry you downstairs. You know they're old, but they've never let you down before. When you make your morning coffee, you walk away from the pot to let it brew, trusting that nothing will fly or slither or crawl its way in. Because, well, what would want to climb inside a boiling pot anyway? Turning on the shower, you trust that nothing there has changed during the night, that the window in your bathroom has stayed shut, and that some wily prankster didn't come in in the middle of the night to install cameras. When you put on your dress shirt and pants, you trust that there aren't any holes anywhere, because these clothes are pretty new. And finally, your shoes. You trust them with your feet. You slip the left one on without incident, as one does, but it's the right one that you need to worry about. You slowly slip it on, but something doesn't feel right. Is your sock bunched up? But then you feel it. It's much worse as slithering across your toes and getting ready to bite you directly on your foot is the podcast inside your house. By Annie Marie Morgan and Kevin Schrock. With today's episode written by Annie Marie Morgan. Episode 1. The Blue Hole. Visiting the Blue Hole was a rite of passage for kids in our town. It was in the woods, but only about a five-minute walk away from some apartments. So it had a sense of mystery and adventure, but really, if anything ever went wrong, help was just a quick dash away. We weren't supposed to go there, and most kids didn't actually swim in it. But if you dipped a toe in or drank a handful of the clear water, it meant you were brave. It was stupid and dangerous, but that's what kids do. As a kid, I went to hear the scary stories. When we were all on summer break, we'd meet up there on clear nights and try our best to scare each other. Many of the legends were about mermaids. Kids said that if you drowned in the hole, you would become a mermaid and live again in the underground rivers and caves. Darker tales told of drowned children who came back as horrible sea beasts. They would pull other kids under to keep them company in their watery graves. The more credible stories were that thrill-seekers would come to our town to explore the Blue Hole. One close friend even swore they'd gone once at night and seen someone coming out of the hole in scuba gear. But the scariest story of all was a true one. Back in the day, the Blue Hole had been a popular swimming destination. It really was pretty, in the daylight at least, and most days it was calm. But one day, back in the 80s, it was not so calm. You see, Blue Holes aren't just lakes or ponds. They're caves that have flooded. Ours connects to an underground river that eventually feeds up into the Great Lakes. So, when there's been heavy rain, the underground river swells and pulls and creates currents that you can't see on the surface. And back in 1985, 
A little girl by the name of Sandy Robertson was swimming with her friends when the current pulled her under. She'd been wearing a bright pink swimsuit, and the water was so clear. But in the seconds it took her friends to dive down, she was out of sight. There was talk of sending in a dive team, of course, but if the water was powerful enough to pull someone into the river from the surface, there was no way it would be safe to send anyone in for body recovery. That's the same thing the police told me when my baby brother Eddie vanished, almost 15 years ago now. He'd been just 10 years old, and he told me that he thought he was old enough to go visit the Blue Hole. He said he wanted to go see if he could spot mermaids. I didn't tell our parents. I assumed he was going with his friends. And, well, apparently he wasn't, and no one else knew what he'd been planning. The police listened to my story, but they seemed to think it was more likely he'd been abducted on the way there. And now... Decades since Sandy had vanished, and with Eddie still missing, that's the same story the police have given in the wake of yet another disappearance. Her name was Alice Jensen. She was only 12 years old, and her friends actually spoke with the media to tell them that she'd been visiting the Blue Hole. Her family and friends were trying to pressure the police into hiring a dive team, but they were still giving the answer that it was too dangerous. When I got the news that another child had gone missing, I started to think about finally taking matters into my own hands. As an adult, I'd settled by the ocean, I've got all the equipment, and I've been certified for cave diving. The local cops weren't going to do anything, so I got a plane ticket and went home. When I arrived, I had no desire to revisit any part of the town. Eddie's disappearance had soured my memories of the place. I just stayed in my hotel until the sun went down. I didn't start to doubt myself until I was standing in front of the blue hole, with all my gear on. I tried to reassure myself. We'd seen divers as kids, so clearly some people had decided it was safe. But who's to say there weren't other divers long dead down there? Others who hadn't told anyone where they were going? Uh, past a certain point... There's no oxygen in the water, so anyone lost far enough down would be perfectly preserved in the strange depths. But then I remembered seeing Alice's mother on the news. She was still wondering if Alice could be alive, and if she was, what that meant. And I knew that if I could spare her family those years of not knowing, I would do anything. And. Maybe in that hole, I would finally find answers of my own. With that thought, I stepped over the ledge and fell in. And when I had my flashlight turned on, I swam straight down. I quickly came to a bend in the cave. Above me, I noticed stalactites, but there was plenty of water below to avoid their peaks, which had begun to erode in the current. Then the passage narrowed, and though I'm thoroughly devoid of any claustrophobia, I worried about the sharp rocks catching on my breathing equipment. A sudden current pulled me towards the spikes, and I had to grab hold of one to keep steady. I let go, washing down to the next one, 
but it quickly got so strong that I was worried I'd lose my grip. And then all at once the current took me. I tried to fight it, to look for something to grab, but found only smooth stone beneath my fingers, the stalactites suddenly out of reach above. I thought about how far this river went, and imagined my corpse emerging somewhere up in the Great Lakes. Then mercifully, the current slowed, but not enough that I could swim against it. It was dark, until it wasn't. Only then did I start to feel a new kind of fear. It made no sense for there to be light down here. I often imagined drowning or getting lost and running out of air. That's part of the risk of diving. But light, a place where there should not be light, brought out the same kind of fear that a massive shape in the distance out in the ocean does. I did not know what to be afraid of, only that I was. The bend turned again, and the current slowed down to a crawl, and above me the light grew brighter over what looked like an air pocket. As I broke the water's surface, I noticed several things all at once. I was at the edge of a shore. The cave floor sloped above the water. There were lights down here, high-powered fluorescent ones, like you would take diving. And on the walls, there were drawings covering nearly every square inch of the surface. I took off my mask and breathed in cautiously. The air tasted fine. I hauled myself up to the shore, and as my eyes adjusted to the low light, I began to take in the mural on the walls. There were drawings, both crude and detailed, and there were etchings. One that was particularly weathered caught my eye, and it made my already nervous heartbeat skyrocket. It read, Eddie was here. I fell to my knees and doubled over. He'd been so close! It felt like I couldn't breathe. I got up and forced myself to look at the rest of the carvings to try and understand what had happened down here and what Eddie's final days had been like. But it didn't make sense. There were a few other crude carvings, but most of what was on the wall was in paint or looked like chalk. There were drawings of mermaids with yellow hair and purple bikini tops. There was a drawing of two small stick figures and two big stick figures. The little ones had black hair. The mother was blonde. Oh, it was impossible to discern from the hair color alone, but I think it was our family. As I moved along the cave wall, the drawings became inexplicably more complex. There were houses with detailed roofs and windows. There were trees, and there was a dog that bore a resemblance to our childhood pup, Lucky. And over and over again, drawn in the various layers of intricacy and crudeness, was what looked like a monstrous merman, with long black fins and one big, glassy eye. I came to a sharp bend in the cave, and I felt my feet start to resist me. It looked darker past the curve, and there was a very real chance. I was going to find whatever remained of Eddie. As I turned the corner, I heard a high-pitched scream. I thought for a second it was me, but then my brain processed what my eyes were seeing. I recognized her from the news instantly. It was Alice. She was alive. She was in a dark offshoot of the cave. The walls behind her were plastered with more drawings, and there were old weathered crates behind her. 
Someone must have used this place for something in the past, but I didn't have time to process that now. It's okay, it's okay, I told her, holding my hands up. I'm here to help you. She stopped screaming, and her eyes seemed to register that I was not something to fear. I vaguely noticed that there were food wrappers at her feet. Who are you? She asked, but then quickly decided it didn't matter. You have to get me out of here. My name's Liam. I'll help you out. I gestured her over. Come on. She jumped up. Okay, we need to go before he gets back. The words chilled me, and suddenly, everything made a truly terrible kind of sense. What do you mean, he? Who is he? I asked. But already, my brain was putting together the pieces. There was food down here. There were crates down here. Because someone was bringing supplies down. And the drawings and the carvings, they got better and more detailed. Because Eddie had gotten older in this place. It's the guy who brought me here. Come on! She was grabbing me now, and I realized with horror that I couldn't get her out of here. Not on my own. And fuck, what a secure prison this was. It's better than a basement. Better than a shed. Better than a shack in the woods. You could hold your breath to get in, but to get out? To fight that current without equipment? That would be impossible. I don't know if I can even get out of here. The current's too strong, I told her. But I was more distressed by the sudden realization that those drawings and those carvings, they looked fresh. Is there anyone else down here? A boy? A, a man? He's got a birthmark on his foot. It looks like a leaf. Have you seen him? She took a second to process this. No, uh, there's no one else down here. It's just me and... And what? There's no one else down here alive. She pointed to the path that led further into the cave. He keeps the bodies. She started to cry. I had to know for sure. I had to see. W wait here for just one second. I walked out into the hallway and started shining my light into the other room, but I stopped when I saw a skeletal leg and a pink swimsuit stretched out over a frame that was much older than the wearer had been when they arrived. Sandy. And suddenly I didn't need to see Eddie's body. I didn't need to know how old he'd become down here. Alice interrupted my dark thoughts. He has a way out. He's got a rope that he grabs onto to get through the current. She grabbed me, pulling me out of my shock, but we both stopped. At the sound of sloshing in the water, I pointed my light towards the sounds. Alice, I said, feigning calm, go wait in the room you were in. I'll handle this. She obeyed, and I grabbed a sharp rock as the monster who had stolen my brother rose from the deep. I jumped at him before he could get out of the water, landing directly on him and knocking us both into the shallows. I stabbed at his neck as he tried to wrap his hands around mine. I scraped him up, but the rock was too dull, and his wetsuit was thick. Then he hit me, and I hit him back, and I grabbed him, and I pushed him under. He didn't put up much of a fight, or really any fight. Perhaps I'd hit him harder than I thought. I thought about letting up. I did. But I couldn't get Alice out of here on my own. 
If I didn't hold him under, if I didn't kill him, then I would have to leave her alone with him. Really, it was her or it was him. And he'd been the one to take Eddie, to keep him down here for God only knows how long and for God only knows what purpose. So I held him under until the kicking stopped, until the bubbles stopped, and for even longer after that just to be safe. And then I went to go get Alice. I explained to her that I couldn't safely get her out of here on my own. I'd need to get help and bring her a tank and a wetsuit, and she understood. I started putting on my gear, but found I'd lost a flipper in the fight. I didn't relish the idea of taking a dead man's equipment, but I didn't have much choice. His body had started drifting downstream, but was caught on a low-hanging stalactite. I figured I should probably drag it to shore so that the police would be able to identify him. As I hauled the man up, I wondered why he'd waited so long to grab another victim. Fifteen years was a long time to go for that type of person, at least from what I understood. I pulled off his flipper, and my heart stopped. On the top of his foot was a birthmark, one that looked distinctly like a leaf. No. I muttered, no, that's not possible. Alice looked over, concerned, as I stumbled to the alcove that the bodies were in. Eddie would be there, wouldn't he? I I never thought I would hope to see my brother's corpse. I shined the light in, and there was no Eddie. There was Sandy, a grown woman's skeleton, wearing the rags of the swimsuit she'd gotten lost in. There was another girl, she was smaller wearing a purple bikini, and there was a fresh body of a grown man, bloated but still recognizable and much, much older than Eddie would have been. And, most disturbing of all, he was wearing the long fleece undersuit that you would wear for cold water diving, the kind you would wear under a wetsuit. I ran out and grabbed Alice, startling her. Alice, who brought you down here? Did you see his face? Yes, I did. She seemed unsure of my sudden instability. I let go of her and asked, Was he young or old, Alice? He was an adult. No, no, I mean, was he my age or was he really old, like wrinkly old? He was your age, she answered. And he he had black hair like you. Fuck. I stopped asking questions then and went over to take off the dead man's mask. But I couldn't do it. Did he... Did he hurt you? No, she said. I mean, not yet, but you saw those people. He was going to kill me. Did he say anything to you? Uh, Yeah. He said he brought me down here because he wanted a friend. He told me he was going to bring me paint from the surface so I could paint on the walls, too. And he went on and on about how he was afraid of the the surface. He kept calling it that. The surface. It was... It's weird. I was already flipping him over as she talked, and I started chest compressions. I had to take off his mask to give him mouth to mouth, but I tried not to look at his face, and really, it was hard to see through my tears. I don't know how long I tried, but it was far too late. It took a day and a half to get enough qualified people and equipment to go get Alice. The cause of death for my brother was drowning. The old man had died of a heart attack, and the 
Between the two of them, they'd taken all their secrets with them. I had so many questions. I think Eddie must have decided to put on the old man's wetsuit after he died. I don't know if he'd ever used it before or ever gone to the surface. Had he been too afraid to finally escape? I kept going back and forth, wondering if he'd meant to hurt that little girl. Had he become a monster, just like the one who had imprisoned him? Or perhaps he'd donned the wetsuit and reached out for the first person he saw to give him some small level of comfort in that place. Maybe he just wanted a friend, like Alice had said. I don't know which possibility is worse. I always thought I would have closure if Eddie's body was ever found, and that all of those nights staying up, imagining the worst would end. But now that he's dead, and now that I've killed him, I sleep so much worse than I used to. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast Inside Your House. To hear every tale of terror as they're released, subscribe to our show on your podcast app or on YouTube. And until next time, remember to check your shoes in the morning. You never know if something might be there waiting for you.